Well, hey, Genesis. Hope you guys are doing well today. I want to start a little bit differently and just talk about this cultural phenomenon that we've had happening in America for like the last decade. For the last 10 years or so, zombies have kind of been so incredibly popular in our culture. More than 15 million people every single week tune in and watch The Walking Dead. Now, I'm not saying anything about the show, but why? I mean, whose life goal is to be a zombie? I look like that at 6 a.m., but I recover. Like, and on your bucket list, who has put, I want to be someone who can be characterized as walking death? No one. Let's take it a step further. Who wants to go to a dead church where we're filled with a bunch of Christian zombies? No one. That's exactly, though, the kind of church that Jesus talks about today, the letter to the Sardis church, a church that had a reputation for being alive, but Jesus' assessment of them was that they were actually dead. So if you will, everyone, let's stand, let's, let's do what our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago would have done as the word of God is read over us, and let's hear not just what the Sardis church was like, but let's hear what Jesus has to say to us today. So let's read from Revelation 3. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Father God, I pray that even now as, as we are here, that anyone who has ears, anyone who has eyes, that Lord, you would just awaken our hearts and that you would awaken our minds and that Lord, this message that you gave uh, 2,000 years ago to this church in Sardis, Lord, that you would bring it alive in our hearing today, that you would bring it alive to us as a people, and that, Lord, no one would walk out of here feeling dead, but that we would walk out of here feeling fully alive in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that over each of my brothers and sisters. I pray that for me, and I pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. So, look, here's the situation, right? This church in Sardis thought they were killing it. And I'm sure after listening to the first five letters, they're like, man, that church is jacked up. That church is jacked up. Can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say about me, about us. And they're the only church that didn't get anything positive said about them. They're the only church that Jesus says, you are dead. They had a reputation. That's all they had. 
And they were talking to the one. Jesus was writing the letter. He's the one who sees beyond our reputations. And he's the one who sees beyond the veneer of our life. And he's the one who sees who we really, really are. And this is such a powerful point because I think what we have to do is we have to get beyond our self-assessments. We have to get beyond our opinions. We have to get beyond our feelings. And we have to humbly find out what Jesus says is a living church. Because if Jesus were to diagnose the spiritual condition of our hearts today, what would Jesus see? Would he see that you have a living and an active faith? Would he see that you have a vibrant faith? Would he see that you have a biblically rooted faith? Or would he pull back the layers and see a crippled walk with God that is barely living and on life support? What would Jesus see? Does your outside match up with your inside? Is the life that you're portraying actually consistent with what Jesus is saying? I mean, how many can relate with this diagnosis? I know that I can relate with it. Where, you know, for a season of my life, I was going to church. Maybe I was in a group or I was serving on a team and I was doing all of the right things. I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. But on the inside, I knew that I was dead and so did Jesus. I was doing all the right stuff. I had great works. I had a great reputation. I was, my goodness, in high school, they voted me most Christ-like. Were they listening to the Spirit of God when they said that? I was not very Christ-like in high school. I can relate. I've had periods in my life where I've felt like this. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, that's not me. I'm living, I have a totally vibrant faith with Jesus. And that honestly is my prayer, is that as we walk out of here today, we would continue in being a living church. We would continue in what Jesus has called us to do. But I have to stop and I have to ask the question because these people were surprised by what Jesus said. They thought they were doing well and they weren't. And, and the reason why this is so important is because it's possible in a room like this that there's someone here today who thinks that they're doing well, but when Jesus would come like a thief in the night, he would say, no, you are dead. It's possible that that is the case. And I want to press into this out of love for us as a church and out of love for you. Let's start in verse 1. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And it says be alert. That word be alert means wake up. Wake up, strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Now, this is sobering. This is a hard message. But the thing that I want you to pick up on first and foremost is that they actually got a message. Jesus doesn't look at them like Donald Trump and says, you know what, you're fired. You're done. He doesn't do that because he loves his bride and he loves his church and he loves them too much to let them die. He loves them too much. He's done too much. His cross says too much about them to let them die. So he writes them this message out of love to tell them to wake up. We're not talking about actual dead. We're not talking about lifeless, pulseless, body in the ground, no hope, no coming back kind of dead. No, we're talking about a former living church that has so slipped off into heterodoxy or, or false beliefs or they've compromised in all of these different ways that now they've found themselves dead. And I'm pressing into this because I don't want that for us. 
I'm pressing into this because I want us to know what Jesus says is living. Beyond what we think, beyond what our opinions are, I want us to know what Jesus considers to be living so that we can live that way and that we can experience life that Jesus has for us. Now, before we do that, we have to diagnose this church. We have to figure out why they ended up this way. And it's not enough to say they ended up dead. Well, what caused it? What was the sickness that infected the Sardinian church that made them a dead church? And we know from history that this church blended in with culture really well. The Christians in the city had good jobs. Michael told us last week that if you had good jobs, it meant you were practicing idolatry. The Jews put their, their synagogue beside of a Roman gymnasium where idolatry was practiced. A Jew would have never done that, but in Sardis they did. You know, in all the other churches, Jesus commends them for actually sharing their faith, even though lots of them were struggling with lots of sins. The sin that mattered most to Jesus was that these people had lost their witness. They had lost their Christian witness. They had lost the fact that they were not put into a culture to blend in with it, but to reach it. That's what these people had lost, and that's why Jesus calls them a dead church because they forgot their witness. This is the same thing that's happening in America today. This is a problem in the American evangelical church is that we're blending in. We've become so concerned with what other people think about us. We've become so concerned with what other people's opinion of us is. We've become so concerned with not offending anyone that we've actually offended God by the way that we don't talk about his beautiful son, Christ. We're living like we're sleeping. We're neglecting the most basic command that Jesus Christ has ever given. Jesus says, I have not found your works complete before my God. Why? Because salvation is not based on your work. It's based on his work. And the work he has for them to do is to share them what he has done. So they've neglected his work. You know, I get it. Why are good works not good enough? Why is it that we can't just tithe or give our money to a missionary or pay someone else to go and be a witness for us? Why can't we do that? Why can't we use the means and the resources that God has given us to equip and empower the church? Why do we have to be the ones to do it? Why is it that every single Christian is under the command to be a witness for Christ? Why? Because the thing he's gave us to do is to share what he has done. It's not a suggestion in scriptures. It's a command that's found over and over and over and over again. Let's look at a very uh, well-known passage in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let's set this up. Jesus rose from the dead and he gets to call the rules. Anytime someone rises from the dead, we really can't argue with them. I don't know anyone else who's done it. So he gets to set the terms. It says, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power. How many wants to have a life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, if you want to live a spirit-filled life, it says you will tell everyone about me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and everywhere else on the planet. It's saying to have a spirit-filled life, you have to tell someone about Christ. To live in the power of the Spirit of God, you get into the Word of God and you share with people who are far from God about the God who's done everything to bring us back to Him in Christ. 
That's what, mean, that's what it means to live a spirit-filled life, is to tell someone about Christ. Now, let's just let's be very careful here that we're not communicating that we go and do our mission like the Mormons, where we get on our bicycle and we go and we do this in order that we get saved, because Jesus doesn't say that you do things in order to get saved. This is not Jehovah's Witnesses, where you go and you knock on as many doors as you possibly can in order to earn favor with God. This is not what that is. What it is, is that if you really truly understand what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, you won't be able to shut up about it. You'll be so impacted, so convicted, so filled with the love of Jesus that you will tell every single person that you meet about it. To refuse to do this is to accept the kind of Christian life that we're calling Christian zombies, which is kind of a contradiction in terms. Now, you may be thinking, I'm not currently sharing my faith with anyone, but are you willing? Are you willing to share your faith? And if you say no, but I'm still experiencing a vibrant walk with God. I'm in Bible study. I'm in, I'm in a team. I do this and this and that. And I have a fulfilled life with God, but I'm not going to share my faith with anyone else. I would just tell you, please don't be deceived by what you feel. The men and women of this city thought they were at the heights of Christian living. The men and women of the city believed that they were killing it. And yet Jesus' assessment of them didn't match up with their assessment of themselves. Jesus really cares about our witness. Jesus said it in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 10. Everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge him before the Father. That's good news. But look what else he says. Whoever denies me before other people, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. That is heavy. Jesus cares about this. Look at Luke 9. It says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. It's a really big deal. It is a really big deal to Jesus that we be witnesses to his resurrection in our culture. And if, my dear friends, if this is the standard that Jesus is telling us, the question is not how do we feel about it. The question is not how inconvenient will it make my life. The question is not how awkward will I be when I have that conversation. The question is, is it true? Is it true that Jesus will acknowledge those in whom acknowledge him and will deny those in who deny him? Is that true? Is it true that we're called to be witnesses? And if it is true, what will we do about it? That's the first thing. If you end up in this kind of sickness where you feel like you have a dead faith in what we're calling Christian zombies, and just by the way, that's not in the Bible. I made that up. You can't actually go in your concordance and find the term Christian zombies. I, totally, I made that up. But that's the first remedy to a dead faith is to wake up. The second remedy to a dead faith is to remember. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would he tell us to remember? I don't know about you, but I'm really prone to forget what Jesus has done for me. I'm really prone to forget how good he's been. I'm really prone to forget the gospel. It says, remember then what you have received and heard and keep it. Well, what have they received? They've received the good news of the gospel. 
At some point, at some time period, someone came and preached the gospel to them about the good news of Jesus. They accepted that message and they became believers. They, someone didn't show up and just do a bunch of good works and hope that they believed. Someone came and actually spoke an actual message of salvation to them. They accepted it, they believed, and they had a living faith. So Jesus is saying, remember the gospel. If you want to have a living faith, you've got to wake up and you've got to remember the gospel. Now, that's a Christian easy word, right? I get it. What does the gospel mean? That's what we're trying to get at. What is the gospel? Why are we called to remember this? And the gospel simply is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for sinners to bring them back to God. And here's what he's done. Jesus Christ left heaven and he came down to planet Earth. And he didn't look at us and scoff at us. He didn't look at us and point fingers like the Pharisees. He didn't look at us and turn his back like the Sadducees. Jesus came and engaged with sinners to bring them to repentance. And he lived the perfect life. You and I have accumulated in our lifetime an infinite credit against God that we could never pay. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter what good deeds we do, we can't pay that debt off. And Jesus said, it's done. He looked out across the people and he says, it is finished. And what Jesus says in that moment is, how do you get that? How do you receive that forgiveness? How do you live in that freedom and that forgiveness? You believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart and you will be saved. That's the gospel is that we can be saved, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the good news, not just to lost people. That's the good news to us as Christians who every day of our life are prone to forget what it means to be good news people. Look at what it says in Ephesians 2. For you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from your works. So that no one can boast. And this is what I love here. He says, for we are his work. It's not our works that save us, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That our works are not what save us. Our salvation is what motivates us and propels us and warms our heart and affections to go out into the world and do good works. Our works are not at the root of our salvation. The works are the fruit of our salvation. And if we're really in Christ, then we will do good works. Because when you know what Jesus has done for you, like deep down in your heart, when you've got that and it's warmed your heart, you can't shut up about it. This is why we're called to remember. And the word remember in that passage, it means actively roll it over your brain until it warms your heart back to life. It doesn't mean think a thought and it's over with. It's a continuative, iterative process that you sit at the fires of the gospel until you catch fire too. That's what that word means. This text is saying that if we want to not suffer from this condition called Christian zombieism, we've got to wake up. We've got to remember what Christ has done. But it also says one other thing. It says that we must repent. 
if we're to adequately deal with this unnatural sickness of the soul, the one that was afflicting this church and the one that afflicts many churches in America, we've got to wake up, we've got to remember the gospel, we've got to repent. It says in verse 3, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. You see, if the throat cancer of the Christian soul, meaning the thing that was killing them, was the silence that they had towards the gospel. They went to work and they left their faith in the living room. 2,000 years ago, maybe they were jamming out to Hillsong and they turned their car off and they left it in the car and then they went to work and pretended or acted as if Jesus never existed. And we do that today. The one who's given us everything we leave in our car, we forget in the boardroom, we abandon on the highway, we're ashamed of him in public. And that's what Jesus calls a dead faith. And that's what we need to repent from. It's not enough to try to wake ourselves up. It's not enough to try to stir ourselves up on our own. It's not enough to just know the gospel. Listen, I've known professors who were atheists who could say the gospel better than me better than you. I've heard all kinds of people can cognitively grab hold of this, can speak it with their mouth, but it's not grip their heart. Repentance is the way that the gospel grips our heart. That's what we must do. Martin Luther once said when he nailed the 95 theses to the door, if you don't know what that is, it's his 95 reasons why the Catholic church was wrong. He, he said, when our Lord and our master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. The entire life. Not just when we come to Christ, but every moment that we have a thought that leads us further away from Christ. Every moment of our life where we slip and we, we drift further away from Christ, we've got to be people who repent or else we will end up dead like this church. What is repentance? That's another word that we throw around a lot. I want to take a little bit of time just to define it for you. It's going to be on the screen. This is a helpful definition that I have tried to remember. Repentance is learning to hate the sin that you once loved and learning to love the righteousness that you once hated. Repentance is learning to love, learning to hate the sin that you once loved and learning to love the righteousness that you and your flesh once hated. How does that work? How do you do it? Let me tell you a story. Imagine you're going 93 North, and you're trying to get to Boston, and you cross over into New Hampshire. In that moment, you're wrong. You can't get to Boston by crossing in from Massachusetts to New Hampshire. If you keep going, you'll end up in Canada. I have a friend in this service who's from Canada, so I'm not going to bash Canada like I did last service. <laughs> but you're going the wrong way. You have to know that. You have to understand that. You have to have some amount of courage to stop the car, pull over, and ask for help. So I've done this before, not with Boston in 93. I've done this before out west somewhere. I don't know. But I pulled over, and I asked the attendant, hey, can you help me? I have no idea where I'm at. And they told me what to do. I wrote it down. Now, I have never once in that moment looked across the counter and said, you know what, you're really self-righteous. You're really smug in all of your arrogance. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do me because what you're telling me, I don't like it, it offends me. I've never done that. 
because I would have ended up somewhere I don't want to be. I very happily got in my car, turned it around, and went the opposite direction. Now, here's the point. We have what Jesus has told us to do. We have the Bible, the Word of God, that tells us the direction we're supposed to be going. We have all that we need in the Scriptures. So when our life is off course, guess what? Compare it to the Bible and say, does my life match up with the revelation of Christ? Do I look like Christ right now? And if not, turn the car around and go back the other way, learning to try to love Jesus more than you love your sin. That's what repentance is. So that if this church died because it refused to be a witness, then what do we do? We ask ourselves the question, what are we here for? What is our purpose? Big picture, what did Jesus create us for? And it says he created us to do the good works that the Father has given us. It says that he's created us for the work. And the work is to go into every nation and every tribe and every tongue telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. That is why we were created in Christ. For however many years it was before you came to Christ, you were walking away from God. And when Jesus came and gave you new life, you had a new purpose. And your purpose was not a better version of you. Your purpose was to now be like him to every person that you meet. we don't do this, we not only reject what Jesus said, but it's also punishable. It says, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. Genesis, we are blessed because we're the living church. And the reason we're living is not because we have a great band. The reason we're living is not because we have great preaching. The reason we're living is not because we have technology. It's not because we have a cafe. Not because we have smiling, waving parking lot attendants. The reason we are alive is because we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our only claim to life, is that we are attached to him. And the only reason we will remain alive is if we continue to preach that message. I believe this passage. If we divert... If we start doing our own thing, I think Jesus will come and shut us down. The church of Sardis does not exist. You cannot go to Asia Minor and find it because they stopped preaching the message. This is personal too, because Jesus loves us enough not to leave us dead. And he has defined what a living faith is as a witnessing faith. A living faith to Jesus is a witnessing faith to his resurrection. It's not easy. I struggle constantly to try to figure out how to do this. I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. This church died because they weren't willing. God can do a whole lot with someone who's just willing. Someone who's hungry. Someone who says, Lord, today, give me an opportunity to share. Lord, today, let a conversation pop up where I can share my faith. I've done it like this before. Somebody asked me, hey, how are you doing? I'm really, really, really good. And they're like, okay, why are you so good? And I'm like, because God loves me. And then they're like, all right, I'm all set. But I don't know what God did in that moment. I don't know what seeds he planted. It is not my job to save them. It is not my job to be successful. It is not my job to win anyone over. It is my job only to plant the seed. I have never seen a farmer staring at the ground trying to figure out how to make the plant grow. It's his job just to cast the seed. 
That's what our job is. That's what our work is. That's what Jesus says is a living and a vibrant faith. And I want that for all of us. Do you want that?